0: This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. You're listening to The Assist with Trevor Hart. Welcome back. Big week in basketball. This past week we had Championship Saturday here on Trine. March is finally in swing, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so happy to say that. Without further ado, let's just get into it already. So as I was talking about last week, Championship Saturday was on Trine's campus. It wasn't on Trine's campus fully. We only had the men. The women were up in Hope battling the Flying Dutch. And let's talk about that game. It was really disappointing to see that the women could not pull it through. Lost by 10 to Hope, but Hope is a really great team. They had nine seniors, I believe, when uh, Andy Brown and I were on the broadcast with Kelsey Taylor said. Four or five of them are coming back, so it's going to be a great matchup either way. Trine only has two seniors, so I want to give a quick shout to Shay Herbert and Sophia Craig. They were great throughout their careers here. One thing that I did notice in the game was that the Trine's bench did not come through as well as they usually did. I believe that no one on the bench scored double figures, which is... Kind of surprising because mostly Kaylee Argyle and Alyssa Argyle will get the, into the double digits for them. But if you look on the bright side, Tron still only lost by 10 without good bench production. Tara Benevich really came in clutch with this game, really keeping them alive along with Shea Herbert. They did a really great job. For some reason, they were leaving Shea Herbert open, which, I mean, if you look at the scouting report, she didn't shoot a lot. But if you saw the latest game against Albion, she was shooting pretty well. I also want to give a quick shout out to people who earned awards for MIAA, but I just want to say that I still believe that Rachel Stewart should be the MIAA Defense Player of the Year. If you follow me on Twitter, I have said it a couple times. Just her impact on when she's on the floor on the defensive end is phenomenal. Like, as we saw Voskell from Hope win it. The only thing that I see of Voskell is that she's very long which is good for a defensive end, but that whole Hope team is pretty long, and they can disrupt that. But when Rachel, when she guards the best player, she's shutting that player down. I have notes from women's games this year, and multiple times I wrote Rachel Stewart, Hall of Fame Clamps, and she's just phenomenal on a defensive end. I really wish that she would have won it, but she still has next year, so we'll see how that goes. So I want to give a quick congratulations to Tara Benevich and Kayla Wildman, each making MIAA first team. Kelsey Taylor made MIAA second team, which is fantastic. And once again, shout out to Shea Herbert and Sophia Craig. You were fantastic throughout both your careers here and hope nothing for the best in your future. Let's move on to the men's game. This is a game that me, Andy Brown, and John Kay had the pleasure of having the call for. And man, what a thrilling game that was. The first half wasn't that great for trying, but the second half was amazing. We were down by double digits at half. Come back and... It was a full out slugfest, figuratively and literally, as Connor Jones allegedly got punched in the face because of the replay. One of the Albion players was conveniently standing right in front of him when the other player punched Connor. But life goes on, whatever. I still think that how nothing happened from that, no idea. But it did impact the game a little bit, gave Try a little bit of juice that they needed. For once, Nick Bowen finally got slowed down, and only finished with eight points. And he was missing some really easy shots, but hey, they won. No one's ever going to remember that Nick Bowen was struggling in this game. People will remember, though, that Brent Cox and Bryce Williams came through huge. Both of them doing their parts, Brent bodying people down in the post, Bryce drilling threes, just what they're supposed to do. And, oh my god, Emmanuel Monongolo. With the dunk of the year. D1, D2, D3, NBA, I don't care. In the situation he was in, that is the dunk of the year. They were... They just got the turnover. And Manny decides he's just going to go and take it himself. I thought he was going to get it to Aiden Warzeka, the point guard. Get the offense set up. No, he said, nah-uh. I'm going to take it by myself. And then you think, okay, probably he's just going to lay it in. Easy. and still a good fast break play. No, he decides to go in full and just jams it it was an amazing play i was so happy to see that happening before the game andy john and i were told that we were the only live stream for the tournament and we had to represent the conference we did really well up until that point at that point we became full homers and i'm i will 100 percent admit it i don't care that play if you don't become a homer after that play something's wrong with you Shout-out to Nick Bowman, MIAA MVP and MIAA first team. That goes without saying. You win the MVP, you're going to be on first team. Unbelievable year from that kid. Only a junior. No seniors on this trying team, by the way. Watch out. Bowman was amazing this year. He's going to be even better next year. This team's going to be really fun to watch. Also, shout-out to Emmanuel Monongo for MIAA Defensive Player of the Year. When we were asked who should be award winners, all we thought about was Nick Bowman MVP. But after looking back, I don't know why no one thought of Manny as defense player of the year. There were multiple occasions where Andy Brown and I had a game of for the men, and McNagola would have two blocks in the same possession. That's incredible. He's only a freshman, too. So, again, D3, watch out. Not just MIAA. D3, need to watch out for this kid because you know he's just going to get stronger and work on it more. He's going to be fantastic. Also, shout-out to Brent Cox on the MIAA first team. Totally deserves it, especially after that championship game performance. But he's always came through. He's always getting your rebounds. He's always going to get a couple points. Not a couple points. I mean, I'm pretty sure he averaged around 8 or so without looking at the stats. If it's more, I'm sorry, Brent. i um, sorry, I'm doubting on you. But, hey, he as fuel next year, whatever. Anything for him to be better next year. Only sophomore. He's going to be great. Also, shout-out to Bryce Williams, MIAA second team. Really earned it after the tournament play. He was one of those guys where... You don't really think about him when you talk about this team. You think about Brent. You think about Bowman, obviously. But Bryce, he's just one of those. He's kind of like Robert Horry in a way. He's Mr. Clutch. He's, Although that's not him. That's Jerry West, who's Mr. Clutch. But he's always going to come through, hit those big shots. you need Big shot Bob is what I meant. That's Robert Horry. Big shot Bob. Big shot Bryce. Always comes through when you need him. Going to be great to watch. And at the time I am recording this, we... Not we. The Trines men's basketball team is getting ready to leave to head to Virginia to play number one ranked Randolph-Macon on Sunday, 2.30. Going to be really fun to watch. Hopefully there will be a link out there. If you follow me on Twitter, I will post it 100%. It's going to be a great game. Now let's hear a little bit on Randolph-Macon. They're second in their conference at 3-0 and in conference play, which I think the other team was like 8-0 and in conference. I'm pretty sure they had like no conference games canceled. They are 10-0 and on the year which trying at this point we're 18-0 and I think we finished 18 or 19-0 and so I don't know why they're number one other when I was looking through I didn't do a deep dive into stats so I just went on their page and just started looking at like main stats their winning margins are pretty big they're almost always double digits a couple of them are close I think last night they won by eight not doing a deep dive and everything and if it's wrong I'm sorry Oh, I have it in my notes here. I'm an idiot. They won their conference tournament yesterday by six points. So the boys are going to travel down to Virginia. They're going to take care of business. Business trip, as we say, it's also technically ring season. I feel like we're going to claim national champions over this, which, hey, I'm fine with. No national tournament. What else are you going to do? You're going to play your next best team. Actually, they're a team better than us somehow. You're going to play them. You're going to... Show them how it's done. They're going to come now. We're going to have a celebration. We're going to be national champs. It's going to be really fun to watch. As I said earlier, March Madness is in full swing. We're in the Hoosier State. You know basketball matters more than anywhere else when it comes to March. And at this time, as I'm recording this, I think Purdue has tipped off. And being a Purdue fan, it hurts to say that I'm not going to watch it. It's two weeks in a row. I'm saying that. Last week it was because Trine's teams were playing, and now I'm recording a podcast while they play, so hard to say, but hey, I'm trying to grow this thing and uh, hoping everything's going to be great with this. So with that being said, let's go ahead and look at March Madness itself and see which teams have had their tickets punched already. The first team that I saw had their a punch was Liberty out of the Atlantic Sun Conference. Last time they played in the tournament was 2019. They were 12 seed. They beat Mississippi State in the first round, and then they lost to 4 seed Virginia Tech. I actually remember picking Liberty to beat Mississippi State. I don't remember why. I did research on it because I'm a basketball nerd and I love filling out my bracket. I have like 10 brackets every year. It's actually kind of sad, but I just love it so much. But people kept wondering, why are you picking Liberty? And I kept showing the stats. Like, this team's going to be really good in the tournament. I don't have them going far, but they're going to have a first round. And also there are some stats where it's like more 12s beat 5s than the other way. And it's like that's the one game that you can pick the underdog and you're most likely going to get it right. But it's March. No one knows what's going to happen. No one ever thought that a 16th seed would be the one. But UMBC proved everyone wrong with that. Next team is Moorhead State out of the Ohio Valley Conference. Last time they played in the tournament was 2011, 13 seed, and that's when they had the Manimal, Kenneth Farid. It was before he was the Manimal, but he was still a beast back then. They beat number four Louisville in the first round, then lost to 12 seed Richmond in the second round, which I would have to go back and watch, but did that Richmond team, they had a really good point guard back then, so that makes sense, but... Next team up is Winthrop out of the Big South. Last time they played was in 2017. They were 13th seed and they lost to 4 seed Butler. So shout out to Butler, Indiana's very own. Next team is Loyola Chicago and Missouri Valley Conference. Now, if you don't remember what this team did last time in 2018, you have to be living under a rock. They were the story of the tournament that year. They're an 11 seed. They beat Miami of Florida on a clutch buzzer beater by Dante Ingram. Shout out to Dante Ingram. He was a beast in a tournament I thought he was going to get on a team I don't think he has in the NBA. They then beat 3-seed Tennessee on a clutch shot by Clayton Custer. They then beat 7-seed Nevada and the Martin twins. Remember Cody and Caleb, they're on the Hornets now. Also Kendall Stevens, shout out to him, former Purdue player, transferred to Nevada. That was a close game. Then they beat 9-seed Kansas State, who was surprising that they made it to the Elite Eight alone because that was when UMBC beat Virginia, so Kansas State had an easier path per se. Although I'm pretty sure their game against UMBC was pretty close. But they made it. But then they lost a three seed in Michigan in the Final Four. And I feel like everyone in the country was rooting for them. Except for Michigan fans at that point. But not because of their play on the floor. But because of Sister Jean. Sister Jean is back, guys. If you remember her, she was the team chaplain, I believe. She's 101 years old. I don't know if she'll be able to travel anywhere this year because of COVID. But hey, we're still rooting for you, Sister Jean. Hopefully they can make it to the Final Four again. Next team is Appalachian State out of the Sun Belt. Last time they played was in 2000. That's a long time. I was born in the year 2000. That is a long time ago. Not in the grand scope of things, but it's a long time ago in basketball. They were 14 seed and they lost 2-3 seed to Ohio State in the first round. So look out for Appalachian State. Some people were really hyped about them for a tournament. So we'll see what they do. They might do damage this year. Next team is UNC Greensboro out of the SoCon. Last time they played was in 2018. They were 13 seed, and they lost to 4-seed Gonzaga in the first round. And with SoCon, I really wish Mercer would have made it. Not anything against UNC Greensboro at all. I'm happy for them. It's just that Greg Gary, former Purdue assistant, is at Mercer, and Mercer was a big underdog in the tournament. They made it to the final, and uh, they just came up short. So hopefully Mercer will be back next year. Next up is Cleveland State out of the Horizon League. Horizon League used to be the main place that I would watch for low-major basketball because Butler was in there, but now they're in the Big East. Last time Cleveland State was in it was 2009. They're a 13th seed, and they beat 4-seed Wake Forest with, get ready for this lineup, guys, Jeff Teague, who is a solid NBA player, James Johnson, who was solid in the league for, I don't know, a year or so with the Heat, Al Farouk Aminu, who is a big part of the Chris Paul trade, which... He hasn't lived up to it at all, but he was really good in college. And Ish Smith, who is a solid bench point guard in the NBA, but four NBA players, Cleveland State, David versus Goliath in this point slays them down. But then they lose to twelve seed Arizona, which I could not find why Arizona was the twelve seed, but that's kind of it's kind of messed up because Arizona back then I believe they had Jordan Hill and Chase Budinger two NBA players and in, in further future so. Hopefully Cleveland State won't have as much bad luck running into a 12-seed Arizona. Next up, we got Mount St. Mary's out of of the NEC. Last time they were in was 2017. They were a 16-seed. They beat another 16-seed, New Orleans, in the first four, and then lost to one-seed Villanova. Hopefully they'll do better this year. Next up is Drexel out of the CAA. And if you think that having a drought since 2000 was a long time, try 1996. And last time, they, were, they actually made some noise. They were 12-seed, and they beat 5-seed Memphis, but then went on to lose to 4-seed Syracuse. And going through who Memphis had, they had Lorenzen right at the time. They had one more NBA player, but I had never heard of him. I only knew Lorenzen, so shout-out to Drexel. Hopefully, they can do better. I believe they're the Dragons, so that's kind of cool. If you're picking for mascots, Drexel's going to be your champion. Next up is Oral Roberts out of the Summit League. Last time they were in the tournament was 2008, they were 13 seed and they lost to four seed Pittsburgh which makes sense because at that point they had Sam Young Dewan Blair and Brad Wanamaker man Sam Young and Dewan Blair that was a duo back then like that was an actual threat back in the day they ended up uh not doing really anything Brad Wanamaker it took him feels like 10 years to, to even get in the NBA and he's doing fine right now. And the last team to punch its tickets so far, all the ARG tickets will we punch will be either on Saturday or Sunday, and I think there's a couple tonight on Friday, but it's not then, so I don't know. But the last team's Gonzaga out of the West Coast Conference. Last time was in 2019. It was their 22nd consecutive appearance. I believe they've only been in 23 times. So 22 in a row is pretty good. Last time they were a one seed. They beat Fairleigh Dickinson, then they beat nine-seed Baylor, then they beat four-seed Florida State, and then they lost to Texas Tech in the Elite Eight. Texas Tech went on to go to the National Championship, but lose to Virginia. And as soon as Purdue is out, which hopefully they won't be, but if Purdue does get knocked out, this is the team I'm going to be rooting for. Why? They're the only undefeated team left. Why do I care about that? Because... The last team to win a championship undefeated was IU, and if you know anything about Purdue fans, they hate IU, and IU hates Purdue. So I would love to just have old IU fans shut up about oh, we were the last undefeated team. It happened in the 80s. Actually, it might have been the, it was the 70s. It was actually the 70s. No one cares anymore. Just Gonzaga do it, so everyone can shut up about it. And it'll be funny because they're in it'll be in Indianapolis. So it'll be really funny. And if you remember last week I said that I wasn't gonna talk about the NBA All Star Game because I didn't wanna react to stuff too early. Now I'm gonna react to it. Um, it was interesting to say the least. I don't know if I liked having them the festivities in one day, but I understand since it's a COVID year, you don't wanna have like multiple events on multiple nights, just too much to take risk on with this. But, again, I really do like that they didn't have the celebrity game. I hope that dies forever. You heard what I said last week. Um, Steph Curry, he was incredible up until the fourth quarter of the game, which is kind of when he needed to be there. But Damian Lillard stepped in and said, hey, I'll take over. So take that, Steph. You could kind of feel a uh, beef brewing between them, even though they're on the same team. But that rivalry's always been there. The All-Star game itself was meh i give it a meh on a scale of 1 to 10, even though it's not even... Fin- i give it, like, a maybe a 6, maybe. I feel like this year, because you heard a lot of players saying, I don't want to be in the All-Star game. Like, it just doesn't matter to me anymore. But not anymore, at this point. So I feel like they should just name the teams and just not have it. Let the players not go on vacation because they wouldn't be able to. But hang out with their families. Just do what they need to do to get ready for the second half of the season. Alright, let's talk about the dunk contest. That was the worst thing I've ever seen on All-Star Weekend, period. And that might be the worst thing ever, like, in the history of NBA All-Star. Worse than any celebrity game, I swear. Um, Kasher Stanley got robbed on his first dunk because people kept saying that he went un- he went under his leg that he jumped off of. That's really tough to do, and it was a clean dunk. I really thought it was going to be higher than what he got, but his other dunks weren't cool. They, like, they weren't tens at all, so I feel like him not winning was totally fine. Um, I feel like Anthony Simons won 100% on the 12-foot grab that he had on the when it, he had the thing suctioned to the backboard and grabbed the ball and dunked it. That last dunk was not cool. It just wasn't. It was a COVID kiss, I guess. Even though he was really trying to kiss for him, he just didn't want to get dental reconstructive surgery, which I don't blame him. Honestly, I wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, but that was just terrible. I next year is gonna be great because you know you can't, you literally can't do worse than that. So we'll see how that goes. But wow, that was terrible. Hoping next year's better. Which last thing I want to talk about the. Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame came out with its finalists for this year, so let's go ahead and talk about them, and I'll, I'll try to guess whether they'll be in or not. Some of it's looking through them, some of them you're like, I don't really know. Well, Let's see. First up, we got Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce is in. This is, should be one that everyone should get that he's in. Let's look at his resume. 10-time All-Star, 2008 Champion, and Finals MVP in that year. Four-time All-NBA, two-time Big 12 Tourney MVP. That's right. I'm going through their college accolades, too, because it really does matter when you're looking at it. It's the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's their whole career. Some people weren't even in the NBA, and they're in the Hall of Fame. All I got to say for Paul is that... um Thank God it's not for his analysis. He's terrible. He won't get it as a, as a contributor. He's, wow, he's just bad. Also, the wheelchair moment. It's so iconic that at the, I, don't, I don't think it matters how memed it is for him saying that he actually crapped his pants. So, I don't know. I feel like Paul Pierce is in. His career was fantastic. So, we'll he's going to be in. I don't know why I'm saying we'll see. He's going to be in. Next up is Rick Adelman. I feel like he should be in as a coach. Um, he's a knife against coach in NBA history, which, hey, you're top 10. I feel like you should be in. He was also a two-time Western Conference champion with the Trailblazers. Didn't do so good in Minnesota or any really anywhere else he went. I just remember him in Minnesota. was not great. But um, for what he did in Portland, I feel like he should be in. Next up is Chris Bosh. It's tough because I feel like he should be in, but his career was cut short, so we didn't get to see if he could have done anything else. Let's go through his, his resume. Two-time champ. 11-time All-Star, ACC Rookie of the Year. He was also ACC All-Defense, and he was only there for his freshman year, which, I mean, I guess Manny Minago did it this year for the MIAA, but ACC, if you're making All-Defense as a freshman, you're pretty dang good. He was also All-ACC for that year, and also his iconic moment, he rebounded the LeBron Miss and assisted Ray Allen in Game 6 2013 Finals, the most clutch shot I've ever seen live. Actually, period, it's the most clutch shot, period. But I did see that live on my couch watching it. It was amazing to see in Mike Breen's famous call, rebounded by Bosh, out to Allen, bang. Next up, we got Michael Cooper. Now, here's the thing. Here's where I put him in because he was the best defensive player of an era, basically. But his other accolades, I don't know if he'll get in. I would put him in. Here's his resume. Five-time champ with the Lakers, of course. Eight time all defensive teams. Five of those were on the first team, which is insane. 1987, Defense Player of the Year. And also, he just guarded the best player on every team in the 80s. No way around it. He guarded Bird throughout all the Celtics Lakers rivalry. He guarded so many different people. Mainly, you remember him for guarding Bird, and pretty sure he slow Bird down. He'd have to slow Bird down because he was Defense Player of the Year. He's just a great defensive player. I put him in. But I don't know, I'm not on the committee. Next up, we have Bill Russell as a coach. Bill Russell's already in as a player, but now he's up for it as a coach. Yes, he's in. He was the first African-American coach in the NBA, amazing accomplishment, two-time champ as a player coach in Boston. And with this, he would join a rare club of Hall of Famers who are both players and coaches. You have John Wooden, shout out John Wooden, Purdue alum, and greatest coach ever, Bill Sharman, Lenny Wilkinson, Tom Heinsohn. So, rare club. Hoping that Russell gets it, I don't see why not. I, I say yes. Next up, we have Jay Wright from Villanova. Yes, I have him in. Let's go for his resume. Two-time regular season and conference champ at Hofstra. I didn't even know he went to, that he was at Hofstra before Villanova. But, I mean, he got to start somewhere. So, he did that at Hofstra. Seven-time regular season champ at Villanova. Four-time conference tourney champ at Villanova two-time national champion at Villanova, six-time Big East Coach of the Year, and two-time Naismith Coach of the Year. And he's going to the Naismith Hall of Fame, so I have a feeling that he should be in. Next up is Yolanda Griffith. And my opinion, there's really not enough for me to find on her. Like, basketball reference just doesn't have the same amount of, like, in-depth analysis as doing NBA players, which is sad to say we need to work on that. But... Let's go through her resume. 1999 WNBA MVP, seven-time All-Star, and a two-time Olympic gold medalist. So again, I hate to say it, but I don't have the same amount of knowledge on women's basketball as I do on men's, except for when like I experience it like in person. I would say, I don't know, it's a maybe for me. I just can't find enough information. Just based on my information, maybe. Next up is Lauren Jackson. I said yes. She, her basketball reference, I could find enough to say yes for her. She was a three-time WNBA NBA MVP, seven-time All-Star, and always averaged double digits through her career. So with that, I say yes. And next up, the last of the first ballots, first ballot, Hall of Famers potentially, is Marianne Stanley. Again, I can't find enough info. She was a NCAA national champion when she coached. And she was a 2002 WNBA coach of the year. And she coached the Fever for a year or two. So I'm rooting for her. But again, I can't find enough info. Next up we have Lita Andrews. And I would assume so, but she didn't make it last year. So we'll talk about it, but I feel like yes. She's the all time winningest high school coach. I don't see how that's not a first ballot thing. But I don't know, she didn't make it last year. Last year was kind of a stacked class, but I I would have just put her in. I don't... All-time winners, high school coach? Yes. That's a yes for me. Next up, we have Tim Hardaway, and yeah, I would say so. Five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA. He had an iconic run in the old run TMC days, so... And he had solid days in Miami that really get overlooked. He was really good back then, but... um. Yeah, I, yeah, yes, I, I say yeah. I don't know. It's up. I'm not on a committee, so my opinion doesn't matter at all. But if it, it's up to your own discretion. Next up, we have Marcus Johnson. Him, it's hard to tell. He was a great collegiate player, but and he did solid in the NBA. But I don't. Know. We'll go through it. Five-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, NCAA champion, All-NCAA tournament team. 1977, excuse me, AP Player of the Year. He won the Wooden Award, and he was the 1977 Pac 8 Player of the Year. Yeah, remember, it's not the Pac 12, it's the Pac 8. Man, those were, those had to have been some rough days back then. Because I feel like back then the Pac 8 was pretty competitive. Uh, I don't know, UCLA was good for what feels like 100 years back then. But Marcus, Marcus Johnson, yes. I'll say yes. Next up, we got Ben Wallace. I would put him in. I I love my defensive players. Um, I would put him in. We'll go through his resume. I still think his resume is good enough. Four-time All-Star. Two-time total rebounding champion. 2001-2002 blocks champion. 2004 champ. Five-time All-NBA player six-time All-Defensive Player, and four-time Defensive Player of the Year award winner. I feel like the resume says enough itself. I would put him in. We'll see what happens. And finally, kind of say the best for last, Chris Weber. I would put him in, but the amount of controversy around him is unbelievable. We'll talk about it, though. First of all, let's go for his resume. Five-time All-Star. total rebounding champ, five-time All NBA, 93-94 Rookie of the Year, two-time NCAA All-Tourney, and 1992 Big Ten Rookie of the Year. I feel like just based on his Michigan days, you could put him in the Hall right now. But there was the violations that happened with with Ed Martin and the whole recruiting thing. He was earning, he was given money during his recruitment. Even though it wasn't from Michigan, Ed Martin gave him money constantly. If you haven't seen the 30 for 30 the Fab Five, I highly recommend it. It was my first 30 for 30 I watched, and it sent me down this path where I'm now talking about basketball and talking about sports and other things. Um, 30 for 30 is a great series. Please check it out. It's amazing. If you really, really care about sports, you will watch those movies and you will understand them more. But the violations, it's tough because he was banned by the University of Michigan for 20 years I think the I think the ban lifted in 2012 and I don't know if he's been back other than like I think he said he's been back for like charity events but other than that I don't think he's wanted to be back um, other controversies he forced his way out of Golden State in a bad way after one year he hated Don Nelson just didn't want to play for him even though he's rookie of the year it's just I don't I don't know that that was a bad and at that point no one knew what happened, what he did at Michigan. But at that point, they just let the sour taste in everyone's mouths. He could have improved his resume if he would have won championship in Sacramento, but Tim Donaghy and the other refs of that Western Conference Finals said, "No, no, you're good. You'll be back. Even though they won't, like, no, you've got another. We'll give it to Shaq and Kobe though." So my final ver- verdict on Chris Webber, yes, but there's a lot of baggage coming with him. But this is one thing I like to talk about with uh, baseball people too, which I know is basketball pod, but we're going to talk about Hall of Fames in general. The Hall of Fame is a museum where people will travel to the Hall of Fame and they will learn about the sport that they love. So when people ask me, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame, I say yes. Doesn't mean that you forget everything he did. You can put on their placard or wherever their legacy and put an asterisk and say, they did this and this and this, and they're controversial because of it. But if they were a great talent, you put them in the hall. You can't just forget about different people and what they've done. Like people tried, like the NBA wants everyone to forget about the huge cocaine problem in the 70s. If it wasn't for Magic and Bird, I probably wouldn't be talking about basketball right now. They saved the league from a huge ratings problem and Coke problem. And these two people just come in and do that. Like, I'm very surprised when looking through the Hall of Fame, if you base it on, like, character and all that. I'm surprised David Thompson's in the Hall of Fame. He had a great career at NC State, don't get me wrong. But in the ABA, ABA, he lost his career because he... Couldn't stop sniffing coke, and it's stuff like that. Like, Michael Ray Richardson is another player, could have been great, really good in college, could have been even better in the NBA than what he was, but he couldn't stop it. And Marvin Barnes, another player who was just like that. I don't think Marvin's in the Hall of Fame, neither one of Michael Ray Richardson or Marvin Barnes is in the Hall, but you still need to look at these great players, and even if their integrity is bad like that, you need to put them in the Hall. but. Make sure that, like, they pay for paying. Like, sure, not being in the hall is a big enough sacrifice for what you've done. But it's even more, it's honestly even more of a price to pay when you're in the hall, but people look at your placard and they judge you upon that one mistake that you've made. Like, with David Thompson, I hate to say it, but, like, some you might need to put asterisks David Thompson was a great player, but he had a cocaine problem and could have been better. Or something to that degree. Like with Pete Rose, put on his placard, he was banned from baseball because of gambling. And you, he, they, that person is an example. So, with all the Hall of Fame stuff, I just want to say, yes, put Chris Webber in the hall. <laughs> that was a long roundabout, roundabout way of saying that. But, yes, put him in the hall. Putting an asterisk on his placard so that'll be it for this week's podcast thank you so much for listening if you want to follow me on twitter it is at deverhart00. also listen to me on the storm center podcast with john k we talk about trying sports and recorded our first podcast the other day and it was it was uploaded on wednesday so please check it out and i will also leave a link to the Try and broadcasting network in the description please check all of us out thanks guys